Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I am O'Brien McMahon, and this is People Business. Every business is in some way a people business. From Silicon Valley to the restaurant down the street, every business relies on groups of people working together toward a common cause. That's no easy task. While the world around us has evolved into a high-tech, interdependent matrix, our individual software is largely the same as it was 10,000 years ago. We are social, emotional animals balancing a need to fit in with a desire to stand out. Bring us together in large groups, put money on the line, and anything could happen. This is a show where current and aspiring business leaders can understand the people dynamics at play in their organizations and learn skills and techniques to improve their chances of long-term business success. This week, my guest is Desmond Clark. Desmond spent 12 years as a tight end in the NFL, playing with the Denver Broncos, Miami Dolphins, and most notably for eight years with the Chicago Bears, where he is currently second all-time in receptions as a tight end behind only Mike Ditka, the Hall of Fame player and coach. After the NFL, Desmond got into business, working as a financial advisor before founding Desmond Clark Investment Group and the Insurance People. He is the author of Principles of Winning, Five Keys to Create a Standard of Excellence. In this conversation, we talk about the lessons he learned and the principles he learned from his athletic career and how that translates into business. Uh, We talk about lessons that he learned from the best coach that he ever had and how he learned to compete against himself instead of competing against the opponent and how it was that mindset shift that really transformed his future success in everything that he has done and continues to do. There are a ton of gems in here. I think you're really going to enjoy the conversation. I find Desmond to be incredibly insightful and deep in the way that he thinks about the world and the lessons that he's learned. Without further ado, here is Desmond Clark. And we are live with Desmond Clark. Desmond, welcome to the show. I'm uh, really interested to get into this conversation and some of the elements of your book I read it right when I got it and took a bunch of pages of notes on it. And so I'm interested just to hear your perspective on life and sports and business. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to go, man. I'm ready to discuss. I, I love having these conversations and sharing my experiences and the things that I learned from them over time, just so if somebody can learn from it to help them be even better than they already are, that's the great part about it. I love that. Well, let's let's dive right in then. You are probably most well-known publicly for your football career and and being a successful, long-tenured NFL athlete. But from reading your book and you know the conversations we have, understand that that wasn't always your destiny and that you had to really figure out how to put yourself in the best position to stand out and to win. And then once your NFL career has been over, you've had to reinvent yourself again. So you wrote the book, Principles of Winning, Five Keys to Create a Standard of Excellence. And I think when people think of winning, it's like, oh, I got to like get to the top of the mountain. But you've gotten to the top of the mountain a couple of times and you're climbing back up it again. So how do you think about winning and how do you think about your skill set and getting yourself up those hills? Right. I I think about winning a little bit differently um, than most people may assume. Most people think winning, you know, five to four, 50 to 49, you know, your score is higher than the next person's score and golf score is lower. I look at winning 
more so personally because every day you're just trying to be better than you were the day before the month before the year before and that's how you put yourself in position to win on the scoreboard also so i, I look at it from more of a, a personal platform than like a scoreboard platform and does it always work out for you? No. Sometimes you can do everything perfectly. Sometimes you can go out and practice and you can study and you can prepare. And then you still may lose lose the game, lose the battle or, or lose the sale or whatever it may be. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you lost. Just because it didn't go the way that it that you wanted it to go, you still can gain from that situation if you're doing the right things to put yourself in position to get the next one, to win the next battle, to win the next sale or whatever it is. So I look at winning more so like that than just a, a definite slice of time. What was the score? I wouldn't describe that as a natural instinct. I think people default to the score. So how did right. you develop that mindset? When did that start? It, it started probably in my teenage years. I didn't recognize it until, you know, I was a, well into my adult years. But for me, um, I tell one of the stories in the book about how I was in middle school and, you know, I thought I was one of the better players on the team. And, you know, everybody didn't think the same thing that I thought and got ridiculed about it. So at that time, I just set out on a daily basis to become better. And every day I worked on it. And for me, every day that I went out there, I was winning because I was getting better. Ultimately, I did become a better basketball player than the, the guy who I was comparing myself to. But at the end of the day, we never had a one-on-one -on -one competition. But I felt like I won because I made myself better because of. So I think early on in my life, that started. But I didn't recognize what it was until, you know, I was in my probably late 20s, early 30s about, man, all you got to do is focus on getting better. And, you, and you're going to win the majority of the time. Because if you put yourself in a position where you're the best that you can be, that's all you can possibly do. And if you're doing everything that's possible, you're going you're gonna to win most of the time. Yeah, it's funny. It's like you only have to stumble into that mindset once. You just have to get there once, even if by accident. And it sort of self-perpetuates because if you just work on yourself on one thing to get better and you focus on yourself, you will get better and you'll see those results. And then that sort of reinforces that work. And whether you're consciously like, oh, this is my path to success, whether you're saying that or not, you're still reinforcing that habit of going to work on yourself. Absolutely. And just like you said, that, that was a high school, uh, middle school example. But the same thing happened later on in life when I was a rookie in training camp with the Denver Broncos. I had to do the same thing and say, okay, I'm not as good, but I took a different approach. I thought I was better than the guy in middle school. When I got to the pros, I was like, no, I'm not as good as these guys over here. So I had to set out on the same path. How do I make myself better so I can be as good as I can be so I can compete with these guys? and and be mentioned in the same sentence of hey these are all denver broncos tight end and desmond clark is one of those one of those tight ends that they kept and it, it was the same process but like i say even then i didn't really recognize it what i was doing like i say it wasn't until 
you know, maybe six, seven years in the league where it just dawned on me, like, man, just if you just work on your skill level and work on on getting yourself better every single day, although I was already doing it, man, you, you're going to put yourself in a position to win more often or not. Yeah. And that's often the quiet work, right? It's the work that's done by yourself or with a small group out of the limelight. And then you show up and show off the rewards, but it's not, it's not flashy work. No, it's not. I have a saying that you get rewarded in the light for what you do in the dark. It's beautiful. Yeah. But it's so true. Like everybody looks at game day and be like, Oh man, LeBron James is just man. He's awesome. Like God given ability. Hell no, this dude had to and now he has guy given ability. He has talent, but he has he has to work his ass off to be as good as he is. Because you can you can waste talent. You know, the Kobe Bryant, the Michael Jordan's and when we all seen the, the series with um The Last Dance. And I think people got an understanding of why he was so great is because he didn't cut corners. He pushed himself to the limit. He made sure that you know, whatever needed to be done to, to put himself in position to be the best as he wanted to be, he got that, he got the work in. And when you, when you have that type of mentality or you have a coach that pushes you that way, our high school coach, as far as my basketball coach, we had a lot of talent on the team, but he told us once we have enough talent on this team that practice should be harder than the game. That's a profound statement, but if you think about working on your own individual talent, you know, whatever your talent is, you should put yourself through harder practice. So when it's time to, like you said, show up and show out, lights on, you just, you just go to work and, it, and it's simple and it's easy, but it takes time. It takes time to get there. So what kind of things would you do when you were playing football? Cause you have group practices, right? Mm-hmm. And you've got your, assignment meetings you know i'm sure all the tight ends or all the receivers would meet and go through film and stuff like that together but that's not work on yourself right that's that's work as a collective group what did your individual work look like that helped elevate you to the status where you wanted to be i think even in that group work you're you're working on yourself because you get to study yourself you get to study other people and as you're studying the defense within your own brain you're you're going through repetitions of what i have to do to block this defensive end or whatnot even in team practices you go out i went out with one thing that i wanted to do well that day and and focus on to make myself better whether it was hey i'm not going to make a mental mistake today or i'm not going to drop a pass today or get the right hand placement on all my blocking assignments or the right first step on all, all of my running plays, take something like that that's really, really simple and go out with that mental focus to execute on one small thing. I think just in life in general, we, we like to break off these big chunks and try to conquer this big mountain all at one time. And we get impatient with taking a small step. But I think when you take that small step and focus on the, the micro, that's how you get better, but you got to be patient. And that's what I did throughout my, my career is just work on the little small things. And over time, you get that compound effect where all that practice on working on a small thing makes a huge impact for your entire game, for your entire business, for your entire sales approach or whatever it may be. 
how do you keep that motivation? Because I imagine, so take your Denver Broncos example, you get to the NFL, you're excited, right? So you're motivated. There's the, the motivations there. You go out, you see that these guys are better than you and you're hungry to get better. You say, okay, I'm going to work on myself. I'm going to get better every day. But then I imagine a lot of days went by where you're still looking at those guys going, they're still better than I am. <laughs> you know, you don't, you yeah. don't get there right away. You, like you said, it's a compounding effect. But one of the big things about compound interest is it doesn't really pay off until much farther down. And then all of a sudden it pays off exponentially. And so there's a lot, you mentioned patience. There's a long time where you're putting in the work and you might be failing on a day-to-day basis. How do you keep your motivation during that time? I I was reading something the other day and it talked about people who are gritty, right? The, the, The grittiest people understand the present and they're okay they're okay with the present and the present is all is not always you're doing well the present could be that you're you're failing like you're not you're not executing properly but your grit won't allow you just to stop your grit is going to make you continue to work on it until you get it right and i think for, for me I think I was just that gritty type of person that I just wanted to get it right. And then I didn't want to fail. I had to still have a fear, a fear of failure. And just knowing where I wanted to go and having a belief in myself that I could, I could get there in this, in this on me, that kept me going. I, I had some terrible days. I had some days when, man, <laughs> you know, you, you just be like, screw it like it's it's not gonna happen but having that belief in yourself that if i just keep doing it and then learning from the mistakes don't make the same mistakes over and over and over and over and hold yourself highly accountable for that for, for those things you'll get there but again it just goes back to the patience but if you don't have that that strong belief in yourself and you don't have that grittiness that's going to keep you moving forward no matter what is going to be hard because your, your mind plays so many tricks on you your mind as as i as i wrote in the article it looks what what is his name um daniel kahneman wrote about this about how your your brain is trying to preserve energy and the easiest thing to do is just to quit and stop preserving glucose but if you have to continue to all right try to figure it out and try to understand and try to reiterate or iterate the actions or the thought process to make it better that takes a lot of energy and that's where most people stop because it takes more energy to do that than just to say you know what i tried i'm done and once you understand that that yeah it's it's not easy it's 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 going to be difficult it's going to be hard it's going to take more energy and being willing to to buy into that then now you 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 have a mindset that's that's going to allow you to continue to keep going even if the progress is not as steady as you want it to be and i was going to say say this also one of the things in life i was earlier that I try not to fight with life and we're in the moment that we're in 
we got to stay in the house. We can't go anywhere. Okay, that's just what it is. <laughs> I'm not going to fight against it. And we know that life yeah. goes up and down. And life just, wins and in that like fight that. every time. Yeah. And, and, and if you know life has its ups and downs, you don't, don't fight when it goes go down because you know eventually you're going to have some downs. Just embrace it. Say, now what do I have to do to make it the best situation possible? Yeah. I like stoic philosophy for that. I don't know. Have you read any stoic philosophy at all? Nope. That's a new term. So you may have heard of Marcus Aurelius, who's the uh, emperor of Rome. So he was a philosopher king is kind of what he was called, philosopher emperor. And there were a number of others who kind of created stoic philosophy, but he's one of the most famous practitioners of it. And he kept a journal at the end of his life. And it was during wartime and and he would just write thoughts to himself and it was never meant for publication, but somehow it survived his death and it survived all this time. And it's basically page after page of him telling himself only control what you can control. Don't let yourself be affected by other people. Don't let your emotions get the best of you. Keep at it. I, I sort of boil stoic philosophy down for me, for my interpretation too. You can only control your thoughts and your actions everything else is outside your control. So just focus on yourself, focus on what you're doing, how you're thinking, and work as hard as you can on that, and then let the chips fall where they're going to fall. Right. That's called having good mental health. Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. It takes reinforcing over time. Yeah. You know, yeah. You, you said too, you talked about fear, being fear-based a little bit, uh-huh. or being driven by fear. And I, and I think about this a lot. I'm curious to get your thoughts because I mean, I am too. I'm afraid to fail. I'm afraid of insignificance, you know, and and I use that to drive me to do a lot of the things that I do. I also, you know, have a fair amount of of confidence. And I also just have a fair amount of stubbornness where it's like, if if you're going to get knocked down, I imagine like you talked about those days where you're like, man, I just don't think it's going to happen. But then you get up the next day and you do it again anyway. And I, I don't know in my head what the right balance is or if it's one over the other, but h- how do you think about that? Is it fear that drives us forward? Is it our confidence in ourselves, our belief in something bigger, or is it just being stubborn or is it some combination of all of those? I, I think it's a combination of each and every one of them because um, I am a, I would say that I'm a better than fairly confident person. So most of the time it's my confidence that drives me. But then, you know, fear drives me at times where, you know, the confidence is not there. And stubbornness of, you can't tell me what I can't get accomplished. Like, you can kiss my ass. That's what you can <laughs> do. And I, and, I, and I think that's the confident part also. Like, I, yeah. I, truly, I truly believe if I want to accomplish something, I can get it done if I'm willing to put in the time to do it. Am I always willing to put in the time to do it? No. So uh, c- certain things, you know, I just, no, I don't, I don't want to do that. But you can't tell me that I can't get something accomplished. So to answer your question, I believe it's, it's a little bit of both. I think confidence is 85% of the time is what's driving me. But that 15% of the time of fear of failure, when, you know, things are kind of crumbling around you. And you got to say, oh, crap, like if I don't do something, 
it's all going to fall fall on top of me. And then that, that motivates you to action also. But that's, like I said, that's 15% of the time. So what you're saying makes me think of like the way I, it just kind of organized in my head as you were talking is it's confidence that puts you in the room or puts you in the situation to be successful or to try the new thing or do that thing. And then it's fear that's going to make sure you put in those extra reps, you put in that extra work so that you're going to be successful. And it's stubbornness that keeps you in the game even when you're failing. Yeah, I think the fear only comes when things are not working, when things are failing. That's the fear. I don't, yeah, when things are not going right. And, you know, if you're a competitor, you never want to fail. If you, you know, if you have a family to take care of, you never want to let your family down. If you got somebody dependent on you and, and, and you're supposed to get something done, the fear of not living up to expectations or whatever it may be. You know, then that drives you because you don't want to have to face whatever you, what, whatever it is you're gonna have to face. But like I say, more so, man, it's just it's just the confidence of I I, I can figure I can figure out whatever I need to figure out at any given time if, if that's exactly what I want to do. So uh, you've played in some big games in your career, and I uh, I had the privilege to play in a men's league or adult league hockey game out on soldier field one winter a couple years ago and we got to walk out the tunnel and play out there to an empty arena and the energy that i felt walking into an empty stadium (laughs) was incredible i can't imagine running out there with tens of thousands of people screaming for you but in a big game, when that many people are watching, I mean, there's a tremendous amount of pressure. And I imagine that that's where it'd be easy for that fear to creep in to say like, well, what if this doesn't go my way? How do you prepare for that? And how do you deal with those types of situations? You, you know what? In, in the big games that I played in, I don't think fear ever crept in. Anxiety kind of crept in a little bit because yeah. of, you know, Super Bowl. Like, yeah. um, it's a pressure, right? More than a fear. I don't think it's even a pressure. It's just like that moment of time is so special. You know, you want to seize the moment so bad that you don't want to, you want to go out and you want to perform well. And you just go back to what I said earlier. It's all about the preparation. And I had a great coach here in in Chicago who um, I still probably the best coach that I ever had as far as, having us prepared because I never went into a game thinking, Oh my God, what if (laughs) always went into the game, you know, ready, ready to play ball. Don't have to think about anything. All I got to do is go and play and react. And that always kept, I think that that keeps the fear out of the equation. But when you're walking out to a playoff game and you know, it's winner, winner take all, or you get to go home or you got to go home. You you can't <laughs> you can't like for me especially at the beginning of the game you can't lower the emotion of that situation because it's so big and it's so huge regular season games ah okay I could I could do that because you know you're doing those every week but those big games like playoffs like Super Bowl I remember going to the sideline after getting uh, announced as a team running out in the Super Bowl thinking, 
I have to calm myself down. Like I really have to breathe and tell myself it's just a football game. It's just a football game. Just so I get myself back in that space of just being focused on what I have to do and not the enormity of the moment. Want to switch because we've been talking a lot about your experience, but I think in one of the things about football that I think is so translates so well into the outside world is it's such a team sport, right? Like no single person is going to win you a game. It it really is a team effort. You need everybody there doing their part. What about the other guys around you? How do you keep them calm? How do you deal with that pressure as a group? What's the atmosphere like when you're about to go out and perform, whether it's a big game or any game, you know, what is the times that you've seen it done well and the times that you've seen it done poorly you know, what's the difference in the team environment? There's so many different dynamics when you're bringing 53 people together. <laughs> some some people, they like to be like overly hyped and like barking at the freaking sun. Up. And then you got guys that's nervous and they throw up before every game. So I don't think it's like one way to do it. Everybody has to to prepare their own way to go out and perform. But I know for me, the best thing was just knowing that everybody on our team was preparing. This is what Coach Coach uh, Smith did for us. He gave us so much autonomy, and in an environment where you have that autonomy to come in and work out when you want to, watch film when you want to, and and do all of those things as men, you weed out the people who are not focused quickly you see the people who don't don't fit in because everybody can't perform well without having somebody on their back so was he looking for he was looking for self-starters then self-starters and that's what i was going to get to also like the guys who i played with on the chicago bears by and large were all self-starters and everybody got themselves ready to play in their own way and we just came together collectively as a team and brought all that energy together but we knew that we could depend on each other to be prepared and ready to play. Because if you didn't, you didn't fit in and we knew it right away. So with those guys who, who weren't fitting that mold, were they released from the team or were they just the guys who, who didn't get much playing time? No, those guys usually didn't, didn't make it very long on the team. You know, you can go a year or so and get away with it, but you get evaluated every day. If from practices to how you work out to how you train, everything is evaluated. And not only are the coaches evaluating you in the front office, we get to see you every day on film also. We get to interact with you as a person off the field. So the guys know. And it doesn't take that much for word to spread like this dude ain't he. Nah, <laughs> he, he's not going to help us win. He's not bringing it. Yeah, and then you got certain guys on the team that if you if you're not there, you're not going to help us win. They make they'll make life hard on you. Let's just say that. <laughs> Have you seen any of that translate into your business career? Are there any of those lessons that you try to bring from that team environment and that preparation into the business you're in now? Yeah. For me, it's the same thing. It's, it's all about prep. It's all about getting ready, doing the homework, doing the studying. So when I have to approach someone with insurance, 
I'm prepared. I can explain everything to you. I can go line for line so I can educate you. I'm I know all about your business. I I've asked all the right questions. And now all I got to do is go out and execute. And as far as working with a team, I, I take that same type of approach that Coach Smith took. Is like, hey, everybody has to do their part without anybody looking over your shoulder. If you can't do that, like, you, you're not going to be part of the team. If, if you know what your role is, fulfill your role, get the job done, and be accountable. And everything else will work itself out. Because it, there's too much time and energy that everybody else has to focus on their job to have to put time and energy to make sure that you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. Yeah, I like that. The autonomy has come up a couple times in conversations on this podcast and just the importance of really empowering people to own it themselves. Mm -hmm. And then helping people learn the lesson when they don't. Right. That ownership part is is the key in, in business for me the person that takes ownership of what they have to do is going to be the person that excels because it's not it's not something where oh, i just got to come to work and you know like no this is what i do this is you know the team is dependent on me to get this done i have to get this done because this is my role. This is what I do for the larger part of what we're trying to get accomplished here. What does feedback look like? Or I guess, what does good feedback look like in your mind? Like, if you think back to your playing career, you know, what were those coaches saying to you that helped you get better? And, and what are the things that you're saying to your coworkers to help get them moving in the right direction when they're not? What is good feedback? Good feedback probably starts with a lot of good questions to get an understanding of for me and this is why i say that my my coach at the chicago bears was he was probably the best coach he knew that i was always going to come and ask how and why how well no why first and then how and he was always prepared you gotta, you gotta make sure there's a good reason before you're going to take the effort to do it so we'll start with yeah. why and then we go how yeah. And then he was always able to answer this question. Well, here's why we have to do this is because when you, you have to run full speed through the zone because you got something coming up underneath. Now that I understand why, now I could buy into to everything else, the hows and what's and, and this and that. And now, now that I have an understanding of, and he has an understanding of what we're both trying to get accomplished, now we can give clear honest and just direct just feedback on but if you don't know if you don't know what i'm trying to get accomplished and i don't know what you're expecting of me it's hard to have really clear feedback because now is the feedback may not be in the right context and until you get that context right feedback can be confusing well i, I don't i didn't i didn't know that you expected me to do that yeah so would he come in and say, here's what we're trying to do. Here's where you're not doing it. And here's how we can get you better. Is, is that kind of what it would look like? Somewhat. I, I will rephrase it. If we watch a film, hey, um, why did you break off the route right here? Oh, well, 
I'm thinking if it's covered too, we got to flatten out the route instead of taking taking the angle. No, we don't. We need to take a higher angle or push that route up farther so we can clear out the safety or whatever it may be. Same thing with, um, you know, what I do in insurance. Hey, why did you recommend $10,000 of water and sewage backup? Well, their house is worth $250,000 or what it says worth $700,000 just for the correction sake. Well, if it's worth $700,000 and they have some uh, sewage backup, chances are the repairs are, I mean, just the mediation, remediation is going to be $10,000. You probably should have suggested about $25,000 in and back up water and sewage back up because the house is so much more expensive. And, and it just goes back to what I said at the beginning. It, I think good feedback starts with a good question. Yeah. I did. That was a great example. And I think that also illustrates the power of debriefing afterwards. I had a gentleman on here who was a, a Navy SEAL and he was talking about how after every mission, the first thing they do when they get back to base is go th- back through the mission and talk about what everybody did, whether it was right, whether it was wrong. He said it would get, re- you know, sometimes it'd get really heated, but ultimately it, everybody was trying to make each other better. And I, you know, I think that's what you see when you watch any behind the scenes stuff for any professional athletes where they're always watching film. You know, that's essentially what you're doing watching film, right? Is debriefing. You're figuring out what you did right, what you did wrong, how to get better. How do you take that into the corporate world? Are you debriefing with your teams? What does that look like? I think just going back to both of those examples of military and sports, the common thing that both of those examples have in common is they are all trying to accomplish one goal together. So now when you take that into the business world, you have to first set that coming goal. Yeah, because it's not always clear. Right, right. Um, because if you're debriefing, what are you what are you debriefing on? What is that goal that we are trying to accomplish that we need to go back and review? And just going to like we said, the feedback, it can be confusing if we don't if we don't know what the bullseye is. So yeah, when when I don't think in in corporate America you have as much debriefing going on like in the military or like in sports because we watch every practice, we watch every single rep, and it gets to the point where it gets nauseating. Like, damn it, if you rewind the film one more time and tell me that I took the wrong step, you know, I'm a, I'm gonna throw this playbook. <laughs> you don't get that type of um, debriefing and in uh, corporate America. But But why do you think that is? Just interrupt for one second, because it it does seem so prevalent in some of the highest performing organizations out there. You know, professional sports leagues are are very high performance entities, military special operations, super high performing. And, you know, in the business world, they're high performing businesses, but you just don't hear about that piece of it as often. You don't hear about practice and you don't hear about you know, debriefing and, and that lo- continuous learning and feedback as much. I think, um, I mean, you, you have some obstacles there, obvious obstacles like logistics. <laughs> you can't film all of your salespeople um, when they're out uh, making a sale uh, on a call or something like that. So you, you have that part and, and probably just other like real obvious things. But 
your good companies, what they'll do is they'll have set times, set places where the debriefing happens. All right, let's go through your activity for last week. And they do it every week on a Monday, on a Wednesday or whatever it is. And they they have a, a process that they go through. You're good companies. And now for me, I have I have a um, spreadsheet where I monitor every call. I, I, I can write down every call that I made, how many dials I had, how many times I connected, how many appointments that I booked, how many of those appointments turned into open open cases, how many of those open cases went to quote, how many of those quotes went to actual policies. And through all of that, I can break down, okay, did I hit my goal at the end of the end of the week? And over the course of 12, 14 weeks, now I have enough data to say, all right, well, I'm doing really good here, but I'm not doing so well here. And now we can go and, and fix that part. Yeah, why? What's going on? Where's the break? Exactly. And good companies do that. I kept very similar metrics for myself. I, I do keep very similar metrics for myself uh, when it comes to my sales and my work too. And it's interesting to say like, you could, you can look at it and be like, God, I'm just, I'm crushing this one. And then when I can get it to this further point, I'm crushing it over here, but something's going on in the middle and I got to figure that out. And it does help you. And I think, I think too few people think about what those metrics are for their own job. In sales, it's kind of easy because, like you said, it's like outreaches, conversations, open opportunities, closed business, right? Like it's it like moves in a very linear fashion. But for other jobs, it can be a little more esoteric or at least a little more hard to define. But if you can if you can figure out a way to judge yourself and then be disciplined about about that routine, it really could be eye-opening. Yeah. And and again, it, it starts with, all right, what are we trying to accomplish? And then you reverse engineer it back to, okay, to get there, we got to do this. And to get there, we, we got to accomplish this all the way back to the most simplest thing that you have to do. And that's where you can, you know, create your graph, create your whatever you need to create so you can measure you know, your progress in certain, in certain instances. I'm a firm believer, and this is just from sports, is, you know, if you're not measuring it and you're not, you know, taking inventory on it, how do you know where you need to get better? How, how do you, you, you don't. Do, do you think that sports taught you that? Or do you think that was something inherent in you that made you last through to become a professional athlete? No, um, sports definitely taught me that. As human beings, we, we, we come to this world ignorant of everything and we have to be taught everything um as and we to your point our, our default is laziness right <laughs> yes, as exactly. you said earlier yeah so that was that that was something that was definitely learned and and it was definitely learned through through sports being graded on everything having a coach give you that feedback about your performance all the time and it was one of those things where you never had to wonder how well you perform you never had to guess you always got that feedback immediately or, you know, eventually through some type of mechanism, whether it was coaches telling you film or, you know, we get graded for every practice, for every game. And, and that feedback is, is valuable. Yeah. And, you know, what that tells me then is that we can do this stuff in the corporate world, too. And that and I would bet that good companies are doing a lot of this stuff. But, you know, if, if it can be taught or if it has to be taught in sports 
and it is being taught so effectively at the professional college and professional level, then it's something that we can translate into the corporate world as well. Oh, absolutely. We can be so. building that within our people. I think so. Um, but the, the hard thing about the corporate wor- world is having that Super Bowl. Like, what does that look like? And then the other thing with that is I, if you win the Super Bowl, how will everybody be celebrated? Because usually it's the upper echelon that gets celebrated and all your workers, great job, Merry Christmas. Um, here's your $500 bonus, but the people up top get the million dollar bonus. And one of the things that I talk about a lot is Tom Brady gets paid more than the, the 53rd man on the roster that's running down on kickoffs because his job is a little bit more important. He has a little bit more to do with the success of the team. But once you get into the playoffs, all the checks are equal. That that Super Bowl check, Tom Brady got the same Super Bowl check as the 53rd man on the roster. Oh, is that and, true? Oh, yeah. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's cool. And Tom Brady's ring is no bigger than the, the 53rd man on the roster. Because once you get to that point, everybody had to contribute. And everybody is rewarded the same for their input into the success of that team. And for me, that's where, that's where it all starts from. And if, and, and if you can't create that type of culture, like I say, day to day, there's going to be people making more than other people because of, you know, just the job that they do. People are going to be bringing in more revenue than other people. So they should get paid more, but it, it just starts there from, everybody pulling from the same side of the rope to accomplish that one goal and everything just uh, matriculates from there. I really like that thought process about, you know, you sort of pay people according to their impact, their skill level, that kind of a thing. But then when you get into whatever the the big time is or the big season is, that's where you need to even it out and, and show some equality w- when mm-hmm. you're celebrating those victories or celebrating that push to the big victories. I like that. I don't think that's happening as much in corporate America, but that's a great way to think about it. Just say, okay, you got a 12-week goal and you have five salespeople, you got the CSRs and and everybody who plays a role in it. And you say, okay, we want to bring in $300,000 of revenue in 12 weeks. Well, if we bring in that $300,000 of revenue in 12 weeks, everybody played a role in it. So if we bring it in, what happens? What happens then? If you say we, we all get to go on vacation, you know, we all get to go, we all going on vacation together. It's the same. We all, you know, contributed to this, but my, my commission rate may be higher than, you know, the CSRs. They, they're not going to get a commission. They getting whatever they're getting paid on a, on a monthly, weekly basis. But at the end of the day, they contributed to the success of the whole team. So everybody get rewarded the same. Interesting. Yeah. I like that. One other interesting thing that I think about too, especially in like a a high performance type job, like a sales job or something like that, there's no off season. Whereas for professionals, sport, you know, professional athletes, (laughs) almost said professional sports players, for professional athletes, you know, your season ends. And that doesn't mean the work stops, right? I'm sure you put in a ton of work in the off season, but it's not the season. It's not quite the same thing. In the business world, you're going all the time. There might be, you know, highs and lows, but you never 
have four months off to sort of reinvent yourself. How do you think about adapting from seasons and off seasons to the perpetual cycle of of the work world? And, and how have you adjusted to that? That's a, that's a great question. I, I, I threw out that 12-week thing because I'm a believer in the 12-week year. I don't know if you ever read that book or not. I, ha- yeah, that, I haven't read it, but I've, I'm familiar with it. But, but that 13th week, that's your off season. <laughs> if, you, okay. if, you hit the, if you hit the goals that you're, that you're trying to hit. And then, you know, you got vacation time and, and things like that also. But yeah, I mean, that's one of those things that is just the reality and the nature of what you're doing now. And you just a, a, adapt to it. That's, that's just what we do. We work year round. You can't take the winter off in, in most businesses. Some businesses actually have off season, um, but not, not most of them. But it's, it's one of those things that it is what it is. It's not going to change. So you just do the work and going back to one of those things, like what you say, um, Aurelia said, like, control what you can, can't control. Um, make the change if you can, but if you can't change it, change your attitude about it. Yeah. Well, and I like your 12 week year analogy too, because, you know, in that you are taking time off, you're building in your rest and recovery time. Mm-hmm. You know, you're sprinting, you're recovering, you're sprinting, you're recovering. Right. And, and it's a reward at the end of the day for all of the work that you put in over time. Same thing with, you know, a football season. I mean, you go from April all the way through January and man, your body needs rest because <laughs> uh, you've been putting in so much work. Same thing in, in corporate America. I mean, some people could keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going and never burn out. But 98% of the people, they need to have that week, that two weeks or whatever, that two days, whatever it may be, especially when you're hitting your goals. You just need that time to sit back and, yeah, I, we actually did it. Okay, now that's over. Let's, let's hit the next one. Reorganize, get out after the next one. Yeah. Yeah. And I like your comment earlier about how different athletes in the locker room hype themselves up differently before games. You know, you got the one guy who's running around screaming his head off at the sun and the other guy's throwing up in the bathroom. Like everybody's different. Everybody needs a little something different. I think that translates as well. You know, somebody can run for six months really hard before they need a break and somebody can run for a year really hard before they need a break. And some people need, you know, can run a month and then they need a long weekend. And it's just figuring out what you need and what the people around you need. Right. And then the common denominator about all of that is can you get the job done with what you need for yourself to be able to perform as long as you can get the job done you know that's that's what we care about at the end of the day yeah yeah it's not taking time to be lazy and not do your job you got to get the job done first that's a good point yeah and you know I, i don't think too many people getting the job done the right way in excellence I don't think too many people, if you're doing that, really care about how you do it. Just get the job done and do it in excellence. And you know what? <laughs> you can have all the autonomy that you want to have. Do what you got to do. Yeah, yeah, for sure. 
Well, I know we're at the end of time here and want to be respectful of your time. You showed me your to-do list before this, and it is <laughs> quite long. Uh, I have one question that I kind of wrap up with, and I'm curious, especially curious on your take on this, having come from the sports world now into business. What is the purpose of business in your mind? To make money. That's the purpose? Uh, yes. There you go. <laughs> Simple. Now, yeah, I mean, or I could say this. You don't have to backtrack. To, I didn't. I don't want you no, to make no, you no. feel like your answer was no, wrong. No, no. I think that's a fine no, answer. No, no. <laughs> it, I, I'm just going to change one word, not to make money, to create value, I think is a better way to say it. Because there are some businesses that they're not trying to make money, but they create value in a different way. So I think that's probably a more appropriate way to put it. I love that. I've been getting a lot of different answers to that. It seems like everybody, uh, everybody's a little afraid of that question, uh, but everybody yeah. has some really insightful answers to it. So I appreciate yeah. your perspective. I mean, because when, when you go into business, you go into business because you think that you have something of value to offer to someone else. Period, point blank. Or what else are you going into business for? So, um, yeah. So I think that's just a better way to put it, to create value. All right. I love it. Well, yeah. Desmond, this has been super interesting. I could ask you questions for uh, many more hours here, but I, I just I love your perspective. I think you're a really thoughtful guy. Um, I would encourage people to go out and read your book. Uh, we didn't get into it too much because we just got into a really interesting conversation. But a lot of the stuff that we talked about today is in there with other interesting stories of your personal life and and of your playing career. And the book is, uh, again, Principles of Winning, Five Keys to Create a Standard of Excellence. So, Yeah. And we, we, we just, we just got to do it again so you can ask the, those other questions. So, uh, would love to do that. Next quarter, let's let's set it up again if you um, could squeeze me in. We'll do that for sure. Yeah, round two to come. Yes. Well, good luck with your to-do list. Good luck with your business. And uh, wish you the best. Really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Hey, folks. One last thing before you go. If you have a friend or colleague who you think would enjoy this episode, hit that little share button and send it their way. Also, if you like the episode, make sure to hit subscribe so you don't miss the next one. That's it. Thanks for coming. I'm O'Brien McMahon. Go make the most of your business and the people in it.